welcome to Gravedigger Radio Podcast, broadcasting live from the afterlife. Hey everyone, welcome to Gravedigger Radio. Zach here, hanging out with Mike and Jason in the studio. Guys, we've got a, kind of a gold star story for you today. This one's going to be pretty gruesome. Mike, Jason, you guys are, are whiskey fans, yeah? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we even had somebody buy us a whiskey, you know, through our buy, buy me a beer system. Right, but we chose to go with the whiskey of, of the hour, um, Jameson, the best-selling Irish whiskey. I didn't know that until I looked into the episode a little bit. Pretty good, too. Yeah, not not bad. I'm not even a whiskey person, but a little bit of Jameson's never bad. Last time I had it, I wasn't a big fan, but this bottle's uh, growing on me a little bit. I mix it with a little bit of coke because I'm I'm kind of a cis like that, so yeah. I got got to cut it down. How do you snort that? <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta hurt like hell. <laughs> I'll, I'll say, I think if you pour whiskey into your cocaine, it it probably ruins the cocaine. <laughs> I mean, I don't know a whole lot about that stuff, but I think whiskey and cocaine don't go together. So uh, thank you, um, Thomas Neal from Richmond, Virginia for donating the money that we used to buy us a small bottle of Jameson. But why are we drinking Jameson, Zach? Well, because, guys, we are covering the Jameson Whiskey Cannibalism Story. Like I said, this is this is a gold star one, you know, so if stories of, of gruesome demises aren't your thing, you might want might to change the episode or, or give this one a pass. So before we get down to the, the, the meat of the story, if you will, forgive the pun, Let's start off with a little bit of history of today's star of the show, James Jameson. He was the grandson of John Jameson, the founder of Jameson Whiskey, and was born in 1856. And this guy, he was practically like literally a caricature of the ultra-rich 1800s British guy. Like he was basically, remember the movie Jumanji? The <laughs> yeah. uh, the hunter from Jumanji? He was uh-huh. like that. Like if this guy should have been born with a cup of tea in his hand. Just, Constantly taking pictures with lions' heads and stuff. Oh, and, yeah, like yeah. that kind of <laughs> asshole. And the thing of it is, though, this story only starts out bad, and it only gets worse from there. By 1877, at the age of 21, Jameson had decided upon a life of travel, leaving for Ceylon, then on to Singapore, and finally Borneo. On his trips, Jameson collected samples of exotic flora and fauna, returning home as an accomplished naturalist. However, this grand tour would not be enough to satisfy the appetite of the young heir as he sailed off for more great adventures. By 1878, Jameson was hunting big game on the outskirts of the Kalahari Desert in South Africa, and in 1879 hunting for lions and rhinos up the Limpopo River. The whiskey heir returned triumphantly to his family, flush with the spoils of another successful expedition, while unbeknownst to him, his next trip to the great continent was to be his last. So was the... Uh... The, the brand and everything is so successful by this point, he was just like living the life, trust fund baby, just... Oh, yeah, these were some of the, like... White privilege to the nines. <laughs> yeah, like you have the royal family, yeah. and then kind of the next step down. So they're like, the, they're like the Vanderbilts. Yeah, the these guys are Rockefellers. just insanely rich. So the, the whiskey brand came after this. No, the whiskey brand was before this. Yeah, John Jameson... So he is the grandson. Yes, he okay. is the grandson of the Jameson whiskey I founder. See. So he's he's close enough there to where they're still kind of the new rich mm-hmm. to a degree from this. And he ran with it. So James Jameson's prowess as a naturalist, because like we said, he you know went on these, all these adventures and he actually discovered a few animals and, and a few flowers out there. And killed them. And killed them. <laughs> <laughs> and killed them. So being such a well-known naturalist, he was able to overcome 400 other applicants to take part alongside Henry Morton Stanley 
in a great expedition. Overcome. At, yeah, exactly. Overcome. Well, over, I mean, over donate. Exactly. Actually, Mike, you're getting ahead of me here. <laughs> oh, sorry, so he, sorry. So he did. He at the time he donated. We know what's going on. A thousand euros, but that translates to a hundred and thirty-four thousand euros today. And so that probably helped his cause quite a bit to uh, to be on this expedition. But yeah, they they wanted him just because he was this great hunter. No, it's follow the money like always. Mm. And probably all the free whiskey you could drink. <laughs> I, you know, in my research, I didn't find anything about if he was given if they were given whiskey to it's the soldiers. In, it's implied, I'm sure, but I'm sure that there was probably some of that in there as well. So Jameson shipped out to the Belgian-owned territories of the Congo to take part in the quote Great Expedition. A little background on the area: King Leopold II of Belgium owned this region, and unlike his constitutional rule in Belgium, he ruled the Congo as an absolute monarch. So he had full say in everything that went on there. You know, the people really didn't have any say or any power and if you know anything about european colonization of africa they just based all the european powers went over there and just exploited the hell out of them. all the bad stuff yes everything bad mm-hmm. that you could imagine they did so once he sailed out he reached banana point a small seaport at the mouth of the congo in march and by june 1887 jameson was left as second in command of the infamous rear column the quote relief mission in equatoria ironically, was traveling through one of the most devastated parts of the continent with no regard to the natives other than services they could provide. So, you know, this place is already, it's downtrodden. You've got these soldiers that are running through, mm-hmm. taking more advantage of all these downtrodden people. They were probably just fine before they got there. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure a lot of these places, I mean, you think the way this was taken advantage of, it was a major setback to all the peoples of Africa by having all these European powers come in and strip all their resources I mean, a lot of places, depending on what European country was owned, it kind of had them enslaved or indentured servitude or just terrible working conditions. Was he like on the expedition for like actual purposes, though? Was he like a scientist or a cataloger of, of like you said, the flora and the fauna? And, or is he just like playboy on the run, like jet setting lifestyle or? Kind of more playboy on the run with this. Mm. I mean, yes, he, he pitched that he was there to learn more about the tribes and learn more about the continent of Africa. Going, going further and deeper than most of the historians and scientists had previously. But he was over there basically as a tourist, more than anything else. So how's he running a big whiskey company while he's off gallivanting? Well, I'd say at this point he's not even running. He's just oh, you know, okay. living on mommy and daddy's money. Because okay. the parents are still around at this point. Okay. So he was taking orders from Major Edmund Musgrave Bartlett. His mandate was to remain at an entrenched camp in the Yambuya on the Arawani Tributary. The Zanzibarian trader ruler of Yambuya, Tipu Tib, had promised Henry Stanley to send men and carriers the way of the rear column, after which the reinforced men were to follow through to resupply the main expedition. Tipu Tib was an Afro-Arab slave trader, ivory trader, and eventually governor in the region. Tipu had known Stanley from his previous work for Leopold II and his expedition to find David Livingston after six years in 1871. You know what also pisses me off about all this is not like Ireland's like kicking ass at this point either. Right. He's just flaunting all this money and all this stuff. Is that people are still like recovering from the famine and all that stuff. And this is the age of all the immigration trying to get out of Ireland just to have an existence. Like a million people immigrated during that period. And not only is he shitting all over Africa, but like his own people are back home, like facing hard times. And he's off being this jet set and playboy. He's, I mean, he's kind of like the, the Jeff Bezos of our, uh, <laughs> of Ireland, really. I mean, that <laughs> he built a fucking spaceship. <laughs> a, I feel like if he could have built a spaceship, yeah. he absolutely would have him and William Shatner shooting off. Yeah, I will say it, but I mean, I think that's kind of a trend we see all through history is these, 
these ultra rich people they have just a complete disconnect from the problems of society around them yeah and kind of the whole ivory tower mindset so tipu had been leading groups of men from his home in zanzibar into central africa to plunder slaves from neighboring provinces and villages from a young age allegedly by 1895 tipu had amassed over 10,000 slaves to work plantations he had acquired through force however stanley made a deal with tipu which wasn't taken very well at home eventually he went ahead and this, so this henry stanley makes the slave trader the governor of the region uh, also known as stanley's falls so europe was dismayed by a deal with the slaver particularly after the heroism of explorers like livingston to try and eradicate the practice in return tipu promised provisions and carriers of stores in the end tipu failed to uphold the bargain hence why jameson visited him at stanley falls he made almost a 105 mile journey and came up empty-handed you know he was going to see why why their supplies the men nobody had showed up after all these deals were made this tipu guy just never sent the people or never sent the supplies mm. returning to the settlement of riba riba with tipu jameson witnessed native dances and festivities tipu informed jameson of the great festival at hand in the village and the consumption of human flesh that served as a centerpiece to the banquet. Okay, then. Mm. I'll say thing, things uh, go from zero to a hundred. So according to Asad Faran, a Sudanese translator on the trip, Jameson expressed interest in seeing cannibalism firsthand, as he, quote, didn't believe it could happen in any Well, that would be my reaction to that news. I gotta go see that for myself. <laughs> right? it's like, yeah, I call BS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there ain't no way that's happening. And I mean, that was literally, that was his mindset, according to both his, to his journal and to this Thrawn, was that he didn't believe it. He was like, oh, this doesn't happen. Nobody eats people. Okay. So that's why he wanted to go see it. So he was like shit testing him, like yeah. calling the bluff, which wasn't the bluff. Well, you're, <laughs> I, I know how you feel you... now, Jason, where I get ahead of you on the story, because <laughs> we'll get to that in a okay. second. And cut that out. And that may be bullshit too. So in response, one of the travelers with Jameson said, give me a bit of cloth and see. Fra a, bit, a bit of cloth? Yeah, give me a bit of cloth and see. Fraun would later tell Stanley when he returned to check up on the rear column his account of the events and would later recount them in an affidavit that was published by the New York Times. Fraun stated that Jameson bargained with the chiefs for the purchase of a 10-year-old slave girl and was able to make a deal for the whopping cost of six white handkerchiefs. According to Fraun, when the girl was presented to the tribesmen, the chiefs said to their villagers, this is a present from a white man who wishes to see her be eaten. So, guys, okay. like I said, going into this episode, we're about to the point where things are just going to go to absolute Can I return hell. this bottle of half-consumed Jameson to the <laughs> shop where you bought it? I feel like you should be able to say, hey, we, we, <laughs> after we drank this, we learned some stuff and, and decided this may not be the uh, drink for us. Well, keep in mind that this was one guy in the Jameson family. This wasn't the, you know, before we get sued by the, the Jameson whiskey family. This was not the entire family. They weren't just out there eating people left and right. Hashtag and cancel Jameson. Exactly. <laughs> or, and I mean, Jameson never actually ate anyone himself. He just, oh, just well, watched. He just one bought a slave girl. <laughs> he just bought us. I'm not trying to justify. I think this is to, called aiding and abetting. I'm trying to keep us from getting sued. So, but yeah, I mean, he definitely uh, created the situation in which case cannibalism was absolutely about to go down. So this is kind of your last chance to maybe go listen to one of our softer episodes. <laughs> but if you're still listening... Buckle up, because we're going on quite a ride. Ferran said the girl was lashed to a tree while the natives sharpened their knives. Once they were ready, she was stabbed twice in the chest. Three men then ran forward and began to cut the body of the girl. Finally, her head was cut off, and not a particle remained. 
each man taking his piece away down to the river to wash it. Through all of this, this girl never struggled nor made a sound. Jameson, in the meantime, made rough sketches of the horrible scenes. <laughs> he didn't jump up and like, hey, okay, 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 I believe you now. Yeah, no, he sat there, he pulled out a pen and paper and just to watch the whole thing go down. Jameson afterwards went to his tent where he said he needed to finish them and proceeded to make the sketches in watercolors. <laughs> Ferran said in total there were six of them, all neatly done. The first sketch was of the girl as she was led to the tree. The second showed her stabbed with blood gushing from the wounds. The third showed her dissected. The fourth, fifth, and sixth showed men carrying off various parts of her body. In his own diary, Jameson oddly doesn't even fully deny making these drawings. Writing, when I went home, I tried to make some small sketches of the scene while it's still fresh in my memory. I hate to ask, but do these sketches survive? They do. They are. I mean, they're if out I there. If I were to Google, I've got my laptop in front Jameson of me. whiskey cannibalism sketches. Hey, Siri. <laughs> it's, they're actually not as, quite as graphic as you would think. They're, they're very, you know, sketched out there. In his account, in his diary, and his wife's later account of the incident, the two attempt to play it off as though Jameson went along with the proceedings because they believed it to be a joke and could not imagine that the villagers would actually kill and eat a child. Although he claimed that he was present for an incident of cannibalism, he claimed he was averse to it. He even corroborated the point about the handkerchiefs, although instead of payment, he claimed that they were given to prove the cannibals would actually go through with it. Kind of like you said there, Jason, he was, he was trying to kind of call their bluff on it. They were like, he's thinking, oh no, these, yeah. nobody really eats people. And so they took the handkerchiefs and they they ran up and, and basically butchered this girl. However, this account fails to explain why Jameson would pay exactly six handkerchiefs, likely an amount he would have to procure, for something he didn't believe would even happen. It also fails to explain why he attempted to sketch the horrifying event after the murder. While the account of his crime is likely true, Jameson never faced justice. Shortly the accusations of his misconduct made their way to Stanley, Jameson died in August of 1888 of what one account described as a hermetic fever, a type of typhoid fever in the town of Bangala, now Bangala Station, in what is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, at the age of 31. He died down there. Yeah, he died down there. So, I mean, he kind of he kind of got his karma, came back yeah, to him a little say, bit. Yeah, but say, maybe he got some bad juju and... I mean... Paying money, can only hope. paying money to go watch a girl be eaten and, and carved up and, and buying a slave girl for that, that definitely gives you negative so karma. They, they, they carved her up. Did, did they actually, I mean, did he like, oh, yeah, watch they, them like cook her up or whatever? Yeah, they, they <laughs> ran off. They ran down to the river with the meat to wash it, and they brought it back and prepared it for this feast. But he didn't As, eat it at least. No, no I never saw anywhere that he ate it. it said he, I guess he was too busy going back to his hut and sitting there in for a penny, in for a pound. Why not? Go for it, man. <laughs> Wash it down with some fine Irish whiskey. <laughs> once you're already you in that bastard. far. Once you're in that far, I mean, <sighs> you're already pretty well committed to it. Holy crap. However, Jameson's final telegram to his wife, published in the newspapers, read, Reports about me emanating from Assad Ferran, a distinguished interpreter, are false. If made public, stop them. Jameson's family, with the help of the Belgian government, were able to hush up many of the atrocities, and this mission became the last of its kind. Non-scientific civilian expeditions into Africa were spent after this time, though military and government ones would still continue. So guys, what do you, what do you think about all that? Was all that stuff stopped because of this incident? Or he just, was, it just fell out of favor in general and like, okay, we're done messing around in Africa. So after he came back, well, before he came back with this Assad Faran, when he was out there publishing these stories, mm -hmm. that was kind of the big thing. They're like, hey, 
people are going there mostly for tourism and trying to exploit the cultures down there and yeah they're going there just to see these things they're not actually going there as part of like a, an actual scientific mission and so they put a stop to it following this okay however it the story may be a little bit more murky than it's initially presented so shortly after as quickly as this Assad Faran put out this whole thing that he watched James Jameson you know, buying the slave girl, paying these handkerchiefs, and they wouldn't carved her up, it seems like he may have been putting her some pressure to recant that statement. Yeah. And then some of the, the English nobles were like, oh, no, no, he said to me personally that this never happened. And so it kind of, the story goes back and forth of recanting it. But to me, that only makes it a little bit more credible that he was put under pressure to remove it, because when you see Jameson's actual diary... Mm-hmm. He recants a lot of the, or he recounts a lot of these events that actually occurred. Yeah, he 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 corroborates. Well, he, he corroborates a lot of it. Well, he drew the effing pictures. He drew the pictures, <laughs> and so and then it flips again to where after a little bit of a cooling off period, this Assad Faran comes back and was like, "No, no, I recanted under duress." It sounds very much like an Epstein thing to me. It's yeah, it we was did some a lot horrible of, stuff, but we'll cover it up and apologize later. It was it was a lot of back and forth as far as the political side of things go, <sighs> so. I'll say, I mean, it makes for, for certainly for a dark story. and Well, wow, it's, ama- it's amazing how nothing has changed. No. No, no. I, I think maybe they're just not making drawings and putting them out there as much, but I think that similar stuff would occur still today. I mean, people are monsters. Well, I believe they're not to this level. Oh, I don't know, man. But, I, but, I'm kind of the mindset that the, the ultra-rich are out there hunting people for sport. Oh, you so know? you think hostel's a real thing? Yeah, and like uh, <laughs> deadly, what is it, the deadliest game or something oh, yeah. like that. Like, I, I 100% believe that kind of stuff really occurs. We just never find out about it. Well, I mean, like I said, the Epstein stuff is bad enough. Yeah. And like, whatever happened to that? Like, that just it, kind it of fell, fell off the news, and it's like, what the hell? Just like, I mean, you know, the thing of it is with the Jameson Whiskey story, though, the guy died in 1888, so yeah. there wasn't any real way to kind of persecute him for it. Yeah. And especially, though, I like the fact that he was trying to get ahead of the story, even while he was still in Africa. He was like, no, 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 if you hear anything about this, stop them. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> stop the presses. I absolutely did not buy a girl to have her Haven't had a chance to write animals. in a couple of weeks, but... Uh... If you hear that I hired, that I bought a slave girl beaten by cannibals, it is most certainly not true, wink. Like, yeah. And those drawings? <laughs> those <laughs> An off-color joke. Yeah, exactly. Things just got a little out of hand while we were down there on this expedition. <laughs> Jameson whiskey is really powerful. The, the specificity of it, too, the accounts, you know, all the details and everything and the, the handkerchiefs and all that, it, it sounds kind of true to me. And maybe he didn't know what he was getting into, but, like, he could have you know, like, backed out of that probably at some point, right, or offered them more handkerchiefs not to do it or... <laughs> Jesus, something. Well, and that's the thing of it, too, though, is that in, in his diary, he writes that it was the most disgusting thing he's ever witnessed. He tried to play it off that he was very adverse to this. But in my mind, if you're sitting there making drawings of it, you can't be too adverse to it. Yeah. And the thing of it is, you know, the practice of cannibalism, as far as saying that he was there to, like, document as, like, a sociological study, by this time, they there already are knew. Limits. Yeah, there are limits, but they already knew about cannibalistic practices. He wasn't adding anything new to the research. Right. He was there just to watch this go down. I'd almost be okay with it if he just like came across it and documented it, but instigating it. Yeah. That's like beyond the pale. I that's, mean, he's no, that guy's a son of a bitch. Literally led a lamb to slaughter in a sense. I mean, yeah. he bought a slave girl. But to me, what was wild was the fact that both uh, Jameson's journal and the translator Assad Faran. So that she never made a sound through all of it. To me, that would almost be 
just kind of up the ante of the horror. She's probably looking at him the whole time, like you mother. <laughs> I'll say. I mean, I don't know. Like, like maybe maybe she's just a lot tougher than I am. But I think if somebody goes to like start stabbing oh, I me, she is oh, for sure. <laughs> Ten year old girl, kick your ass. <laughs> I'm gonna at least go. Ow. She's in shock. <laughs> yeah, that's entirely possible too. You know, I mean, I have a very interesting question concerning all this. What kind of supply and demand in the 1870s, 1880s? is the market for white handkerchiefs it must be through the roof i mean what is the pe ratio of how they're being traded in in the congo during this period of time well to me it was it was really interesting though that if the statement you know if everything ferrana said was true the the other traveler with them uh you know that said give me some cloth and see like i am very curious as to why cloths and handkerchiefs at that time were such a big trading thing you know like thinking about it the indigenous people of africa probably didn't have heirlooms Mm -hmm. they probably didn't weave you know high-end clothing like came from europe and that probably was really pretty to them they probably didn't do cloth like europe did the the european like silk handkerchief kind of stuff yeah Yeah. that's, that's really possible too but i mean just just the whole story like I can't imagine sitting there going and being like, you know what I really want to watch today? I want to watch a little girl be eaten. And then to actually go through with it. I don't know. Like, I I think there's probably a little bit of truth in both of them. I think it was something that he was so far removed from even the concept of human suffering, being just this elevated, super high society type, that he probably didn't realize what he was getting into. So kind of like Mark Zuckerberg. Kind of, yeah, exactly. But maybe even a little less alien than Zuckerberg. <laughs> but I think that once things got kicked off, he was probably just like either. Yes, he was a complete sick fuck, which I think is probably most likely. And was just completely roped into what he was watching. Or it was a state of shock that he couldn't believe what he was seeing. He, you know, maybe he was waiting for him at the last minute to go, ah, I gotcha. Or did he think again from where some weird anthropological, sociological study point of view, like this is what they do? I'm just documenting it, or kind of, kind of like we've talked about before, the whole concept of like dark tourism, yeah, and everything that you know. Hey, this is a thing that's going to go down regardless if I'm here or not. But I couldn't imagine sitting there, even if it was some like thing they did, and you're just trying to be the historian or whatever. I can't imagine sitting there and let alone, like I said, instigating the whole thing for your viewing pleasure <laughs> now i know where the movie cannibal holocaust got their idea <laughs> i mean it's yeah i mean kind of possible i mean there's there's a lot of cannibalistic tribes though uh, probably not as much now but over over history yeah but they're mostly ritual they didn't do it for sustenance like what it looked like happened here from those drawings exactly when this was going down they were doing this as a great ceremony that uh, oh that this, makes it a lot better yeah this this tipu tib was like hey <laughs> come see this ceremony with me i know i know that i'm kind of your prisoner now but we're like, gonna open presents later exactly and kill was, a 10 year old girl kind of like hey I'm, I'm your prisoner but if we can make a detour to go see this you know psst, hey kid want to come see something cool there's gonna be dancing singing child sacrifice exactly and so i, I have I to think purge myself of all the whiskey i've just had now mm. I, I think that's kind of where everything went down with it yikes so guys thanks for joining us on this uh episode of whiskey and cannibal i feel like a worse person just for here yeah be, let alone hearing the podcast with yeah i need i night. need a shower <laughs> it's it's one of those things that it was in my brain and i learned about it oh thanks for sharing so that. i wanted to infect everyone else with that knowledge great so like like i said in our previous episode this week we definitely had something a bit more gruesome in store and 
if you manage to make it all the way through, just go ahead and give yourself a gold star. You did it. And we're proud of you. So if you like what we're doing here at Gravedigger Radio and you want to help us keep doing it, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gravedigger Radio. Or if you'd like to buy us a beer, a whiskey, you know, any drink, head over to our Buy Me a Coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Gravedigger. Here on out, we're just buying bourbon. From now on, we're buying bourbon. No oh, more. Oh no God! More I wonder what they were up to. <laughs> exactly. We, oh jeez. Are we going right, to start sticking to Kentucky exploitation? We're going to have to keep researching every time before we buy a new type of alcohol to make sure that the family didn't commit <sighs> like some horrible atrocity or war crime or cannibalism throughout it. I'm sure we're fine just drinking Coca-Cola. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there's nothing bad that happened along <laughs> what, there. What could possibly go wrong? Well, all right, guys. Until next time, tune in for another spooky tale.